1957, uh, Dodgers owner Walter O'Malley moved the Brooklyn Dodgers to Los Angeles, just 35 miles north of Nixon's birthplace in Yorba Linda, California. Walter O'Malley had a vision to construct Dodger Stadium, which triumphantly opened on April 10, 1962. Here with us to talk about this very interesting story is Gerald Poder, author of City of Dreams, Dodger Stadium, and the Birth of Modern Los Angeles. Dr. Poder is a professor of history and the Robert S. French Professor of American Studies at Lawrence University in Appleton, Wisconsin. He is a recipient of the Alan Nevins Prize awarded by the Society of American Historians for Literary Distinction and the Writing of History. Uh, Dr. Poder, welcome. Uh, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, what, what ultimately uh, decided you to get into this research about uh, you know, being, a, being a professor from... Uh, in uh, at Lawrence uh, University in Wisconsin. Um, why did you decide to write a book about Walter O'Malley and the Los Angeles Dodgers? Well, it's, it's interesting that uh, despite uh, my Wisconsin uh, address at the moment, my roots are in New York City. And uh, I was born and raised in New York City and born and raised as a baseball fan in New York City in the 1960s and 1970s. Uh, growing up there, Walter O'Malley's reputation uh, was very different than the uh, reputation he had in, uh, in Los Angeles because I grew up with uh, uh, old Brooklyn uh, Dodger fans, old New York Giants fans, or children whose parents uh, had been fans of those teams. And uh, the move of the Dodgers in 1957 was actually quite recent at the time. So uh, I became interested in Walter O'Malley uh, from a New York perspective first and uh, began working on uh, a book about O'Malley when I was uh, uh, out, out in Wisconsin, uh, first concentrating on the New York portion of his story. But the deeper I got into the Los Angeles portion of his story, in other words, uh, the question of whether the Brooklyn Dodgers should or should not have moved from New York uh, to Los Angeles, in 1957 uh, has been quite well ventilated at this point but there seemed to be very little writing about what happened to the dodgers and what happened to walter o'malley once he got to los angeles and started the uh, started the effort uh, to build dodger stadium while he while he was there so it seemed to me uh, once i got into the subject that the Los Angeles portion of the story was much more interesting uh, than the New York portion of the story, and very little had been uh, very little had been written about it. So I decided to, that that would be my focus, and I also decided that uh, you know I'm, I'm, I often tell my students here at Lawrence, and uh, we're a small liberal arts college here with small classes, so I tell them take a smaller story and try to make try to tell a larger story through that smaller story, and. Uh, I put my own adage to use here because uh, not the building of Dodger Stadium obviously is a large story, but I think through it we can tell an even larger story about a city, Los Angeles, struggling to define its own identity in the late 50s and early 60s, a time of tremendous growth uh, in Los Angeles, as it tries to figure out what kind of city it's going to be and specifically what kind of downtown is it going to have? Because uh, Dodger Stadium, as all Dodger fans know, is built in Chavez Ravine, which is a neighborhood directly overlooking downtown. It's almost a part of, uh, of downtown. So the fact that the stadium is being sited and planned uh, uh, near uh, downtown raises the question of how is Los Angeles's downtown, which is different, so many other downtowns, uh, certainly in the east and even in the west, 
how is that downtown going to look? What is it going to have? Is it going to have cultural institutions like ballparks, uh, museums, and theaters, and sports arenas, uh, like most downtowns? Uh, or is downtown Los Angeles just going to be uh, like a number of other neighborhoods, uh, centered neighborhoods in Los Angeles, uh, the Century City uh, uh, area, uh, uh, areas in the San Fernando Valley. Can Los Angeles profitably have three or four or five downtowns? Does it have to have a built-up central core, central downtown? That's the kind of question that uh, that Los Angelinos were, were wrestling with as they wrestled with the question of whether and where and how to build Dodger Stadium. So that's what got me really interested. My, the, the original impetus was to talk about and write about Walter O'Malley, but uh, later on I, I realized that it was about really about Los Angeles and about its, uh, its struggle for uh, identity in the 1950s and 1960s. Going back to um, you know your interest in Walter O'Malley, could you describe who he you know who he was? What what was his uh, background, um, especially especially in New York? Sure, uh, Walter O'Malley was born in in 1903, uh, and. Uh, uh, originally uh, was an attorney. Uh, he went to Columbia and Fordham Law Schools, uh, uh, grew up in New York, uh, uh, and began practicing law in the uh, 1930s and 1940s uh, in New York City. Uh, his specialty was uh, bankruptcy and corporate reorganizations. Uh, and in the course of that practice, uh, one of his clients, uh, a, a bank in Brooklyn called the Brooklyn Trust Company, uh, held a mortgage uh, on the Brooklyn Dodgers baseball team uh, and on Ebbets Field, which in the 30s and 40s uh, was, uh, at least in the 1930s, uh, the, the Dodgers uh, were not doing particularly well, uh, either at the gate or on the field or financially. Uh, and eventually O'Malley was uh, able to uh, acquire a controlling share uh, as a as a stockholder uh, in the Brooklyn Dodgers, and in 1950 uh, he bought out Branch Rickey, who was the uh, you know the the famous baseball executive who's associated with uh, bringing uh, 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 Jackie Robinson to the major leagues. Uh, in 1950, Walter O'Malley bought out Branch Rickey and became the uh, controlling uh, uh, owner uh, of the of the Brooklyn Dodgers. So. His background was not strictly in baseball. He was not a baseball man the way uh, uh, Branch Rickey was, uh, but he was a very astute businessman and uh, uh, a, a very, I think, uh, astute executive. Uh, he understood that uh, you didn't necessarily have to be an expert in baseball to run a baseball team. What you needed to do was pick good people, good baseball people, and let them do their jobs. And famously, uh, uh, while Walter O'Malley was the owner of the Brooklyn and Los Angeles Dodgers, uh, he only had uh, two, uh, uh, two managers, uh, 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 most notably uh, Walter Alston, who, uh, uh, who was uh, a Dodger manager uh, for, oh, for, I guess, about almost quarter, uh, close to a quarter of a century. Uh, and I think only two or three general managers. There was remarkable stability uh, in the organization, the Dodger organization, uh, uh, un under O'Malley. So uh, he was a successful uh, 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 baseball team owner in Brooklyn, but he had a major problem, and the problem was Ebbets Field, uh, which was the Dodgers' home in Brooklyn. 
Now, uh, there's a tendency, especially among New Yorkers, to romanticize uh, uh, to romanticize Ebbets Field. Uh, uh, it was a raucous, uh, uh, a very lively place, very small, very intimate, uh, but it had a lot of problems. Uh, it had uh, 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 very limited access, uh, virtually no car access, uh, uh, virtually no parking lots around, so it was hard to drive there. Uh, it had poles and steep climbs to seats, uh, a lot of obstructed views. Uh, it was old. It was rather dirty. It was uh, not actually the greatest place to see a, a ball game. So almost from the moment that uh, uh, O'Malley acquired the uh, controlling interest in the Dodgers, he started pushing to get a new stadium built in Brooklyn. And that is a, a good part of my book, uh, his uh, attempts to deal with New York City government, and more specifically Robert Moses, uh, who was the uh, commissioner of housing and construction and parks. He held many, many uh, uh, positions at the same time in New York. There's a famous book written about him called The Power Broker by Robert Caro, uh, which shows how he wielded his power. Uh, and uh, uh, Walter O'Malley needed uh, uh, Robert Moses' help uh, if he was going to get a new stadium uh, in, in Brooklyn. Uh, the deal for O'Malley was he was willing to build the stadium himself with private funds, and in fact he did eventually build Dodger Stadium with his own funds, uh, but he needed help acquiring the land. And I think in almost any stadium deal, that's always overlooked. Uh, it is always very hard to acquire land. Uh, it is very expensive, and uh, sometimes it's very hard to put the parcels together. In New York, it would have been impossible for O'Malley on his own to pay for the land that he needed. Uh, and so he needed Robert Moses' help in condemning land, which basically Moses refused to do. The reason he refused to do it is for Robert Moses, a privately owned baseball stadium was not a public purpose. Uh, it was not something that government should assist. Uh, so uh, uh, Moses basically said to O'Malley, uh, well, if you, if you want to get the land, uh, you're going to have to figure out something on your own. Uh, that was impossible financially for O'Malley in Brooklyn, and so he started to look westward. Uh, and Los Angeles had a different philosophy to this question of how much aid can the public, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the government, give to a private entrepreneur uh, and still have it called a public purpose. Uh, Robert Moses in New York answered that question in the negative. Uh, he said, well, if we give the aid uh, to O'Malley in acquiring this land, uh, he's a private entrepreneur, that's not a public purpose. But the people who ran Los Angeles, uh, 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 Norris Paulson, the mayor, uh, an influential city council councilwoman, uh, Rosalind Wyman, they had a very different view of that. For them, they felt that uh, as government assistance uh, to uh, a ball team, a baseball team like the Dodgers, uh, for them to build a private stadium was a public purpose uh, because, in their view, uh, once the uh, stadium was built, it would bring in tax revenue. Uh, one of the things that sometimes people overlook is that a, uh, a public facility, a government facility, does not pay property taxes, uh, but a private company will pay private will pay pro property taxes on their uh, on their property dodger stadium in los angeles owned by a private entity pays property taxes so 
the mayor and the you know Mayor Paulson and uh, and Congress uh, Councilwoman Wyman uh, were of the feeling and of the belief that uh, uh, if the government helped O'Malley get the land in Chavez Ravine, where he wanted to build Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles, that it would pay off for the citizens of Los Angeles through property tax revenue, uh, through job creation, uh, through uh, ancillary income, where it would help restaurants and businesses in the downtown area, which they wanted to build up. And so they answered that question, uh, can public aid to a private entity still serve a public purpose? Robert Moses in New York answered that question in the negative. Uh, Paulson and Wyman in Los Angeles answered that question in the affirmative. And so the deal was struck in October 1957 for O'Malley to move west to Los Angeles. You, However, yes, go ahead. I was going to say, you write that um, when surveying the properties in Los Angeles, Walter O'Malley uh, took a helicopter ride over the city. Um, in search of possible stadium sites, and uh, he he observed what you write uh, is a large was a large expanse of land of sparsely occupied land close to downtown Los Angeles, a property known as Chavez Ravine. Um, could you kind of describe the land that he was looking at? Yes, uh, the the land that he was looking at, and and the land that he almost immediately because uh, he had an engineering background, knew would be the place where he wanted to build his stadium. Uh, Chavez Ravine had a long history in Los Angeles, and it was the home of a traditional uh, uh, Mexican-American community throughout much of the 20th century. Uh, this community lived almost in, uh, I think in the book I, I said, hidden in plain sight from the rest of Los Angeles, because they were a autonomous uh, community, a very self-contained community, but they were right next to downtown Los Angeles. Uh, services there uh, throughout much of the uh, first half of the 20th century from the government were, were minimal, uh, uh, and these people were basically living their lives on their own. But in the late 1940s, uh, the Chavez Ravine neighborhood was selected as the site for a public housing project. Uh, uh, and most of the uh, residents of the, uh, of, of the Chavez Ravine area in the late 40s and early 50s uh, were, uh, were removed from the property. They were bought out uh, basically through uh, eminent domain. However, in 1953, uh, with the election of the uh, mayor uh, that I just mentioned, Norris Paulson, who was an uh, opponent of public housing, uh, he rode a wave of anti-public housing sentiment uh, into City Hall and, uh, and, and basically halted the uh, Chavez Ravine public housing project. Now, most of the people who lived there had already been removed and had already left. So the Chavez Ravine area uh, was, uh, was, was almost, uh, uh, almost empty. There were uh, a number of, 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 of residents who refused to leave, uh, but it was almost empty when Walter O'Malley saw it in uh, 1957. Now, uh, in 1955, uh, the federal government basically sold the Chavez Ravine property. It was going to be a public housing project uh, 
back to the city of Los Angeles. And it's interesting that Richard Nixon, uh, who was by then vice president, played a role in that transaction, obviously as a Californian, uh, as a baseball fan, and as uh, someone, uh, uh, someone who uh, at least had some concern about uh, how that land would be used. Uh, he uh, engineered or helped engineer legislation through which that, uh, that property, the Chavez Ravine property, would be returned to the city of Los Angeles. So between 55 and 57, it basically lays fallow. And then in May 1957, uh, O'Malley, who only has a very vague idea of what's come before, he doesn't really know much about the public housing project or anything like that, he just sees it and says, this, this looks great for a baseball stadium. This is where I want to build Dodger Stadium. Uh, now, there were a number of, 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 uh, of residents of the Chavez Ravine area who refused to leave. Uh, Chavez Ravine was their home. They felt very strongly about it. Uh, eventually, uh, they were removed uh, uh, in May 1959 uh, in an incident that, uh, uh, that, that became basically infamous in the uh, Los Angeles area. Uh, the Dodgers have been blamed uh, uh, often for those removals, but I think it's important to understand that uh, when those removals were ordered, in other words, when the public housing project in the late 40s and, 18, and, and early 1950s was on, was on the board, uh, the Dodgers were thousands of miles away in New York and had nothing to do with that. Uh, and so it wasn't really the Dodgers who removed these people at the end. Uh, it, was, it was the city of Los Angeles. But nonetheless, it's, uh, it's lived on, I think, in the Mexican-American community uh, as a sore point uh, for them uh, throughout history because the removals which took place in May 1959 and the family that was associated with those removals was the Arachiga family uh, was televised, it was forcible. Uh, 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 we would say today the optics were not good, the sheriff deputies were bulldozing the homes, and it, did, it just didn't look good. Uh, a few few weeks after the Arachigas were removed in 1959, in May 59, it turned out that they they owned a number of other properties in Los Angeles, and a lot of the public support for them because they were evicted uh, disappeared. But the the what what's known as the Arachiga removals uh, 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 in order to build Dodger Stadium uh, are still controversial, I think, in the in the Mexican American community. Although, as I said. In fairness, it wasn't the Dodgers, but the city of Los Angeles that really did the uh, removal. The other thing that is ironic, and there, is ma there are many ironic aspects to the story, is that the, uh, the Latino community in Los Angeles are probably the best uh, and most loyal fan base that the team has had uh, for, for many, many years. Going back to the, the history of Chavez Ravine and the the eviction and then the political decision to not make it public housing. How did O'Malley ultimately acquire the property, and what was the what were the politics behind that decision, both on the uh, local and state level and the um, and the federal level as well? How did the politics align? Well, the politics aligned uh, in, in in the sense that uh, the. Uh, at least on the city, the city level, there was a deal made whereby uh, O'Malley would be allowed to trade 
property that he already owned in Los Angeles, so the actually a, a minor league ballpark called Wrigley Field, which was in another part of Los Angeles that you know that the Dodgers owned, he would be able to swap that land uh, for the land at Chavez Ravine, uh, which the city owns. So uh, be, because of the you know the, the devolution after the uh, after the housing project was canceled, which was in 1953, uh, the city acquires it back and it just lays there, and then they they trade it for this Wrigley uh, this Wrigley Field uh, property. Uh, this was very controversial, certainly on the uh, on the city level, uh, because I mentioned that uh, Mayor Paulson and uh, Councilwoman Wyman, uh, uh, as as well as uh, Board of Supervisors uh, Kenneth Hahn is another name, uh, uh, who was who was also involved in this, they were in favor of it. I would say about half the city uh, of of Los Angeles was against this uh, this kind of deal. Uh, and what was interesting about the opposition to the, this land swap for, you know, Wrigley Field for Chavez Ravine in 1957 uh, that passed the city council by only uh, one vote, with only one vote to spare in 1957, the opposition uh, was both on the right and on the left. A conservative Republican uh, in the city council named John Holland uh, believed that uh, it was a giveaway of public funds. Uh, he was a low-tax, low-spending uh, uh, Republican, uh, and he didn't think that the idea of this favorable land deal uh, was the proper use of taxpayer resources, uh, and so he opposed the deal. There were also those on the left, including uh, uh, Los Angeles's uh, first uh, Mexican-American councilman and later congressman for many years, Edward Roybal, who uh, opposed the deal uh, largely uh, uh, because he was afraid that it was going to end up with the uh, forced removal of Mexican-Americans from Chavez Ravine, which is, of course, uh, uh, what, what happened. So he opposed it from a, a liberal perspective. And I think what the opposition to the Dodger Stadium deal on both sides of the ideological spectrum uh, came down to is an opposition uh, for public aid to a private businessman. I think that was a powerful issue on both the right and the left, for both John Holland from the right uh, and Edward Roybal uh, from the left. Both felt that uh, Dodger Stadium, it was privately owned, uh, it was not a public purpose. Now, there ended up being a, uh, a hotly contested referendum, this being California. Uh, it became a referendum issue. Uh, the validity of the Dodger Stadium contract by which this land was transferred was placed on the ballot in uh, June 1958 as Proposition B, B for baseball, uh, and it was a very closely contested uh, referendum uh, that the Dodgers, or the stadium deal, ended up winning uh, by only 51 to 49 percent. Uh, I think there were about 675,000 votes cast, and it won by about 25,000. So it was a very, very close election, a uh, very, very close referendum that pretty much split the city in half. Now, from O'Malley's standpoint, he is from New York and knows very little about Los Angeles. Uh, uh, I've always amused when, uh, when, when uh, critics say, well, O'Malley planned to move to, to Los Angeles from New York all along that he had plotted it for years uh, because O'Malley knew so little about Los Angeles that when he flew in for the first time and he was served with papers, uh, uh, he didn't even know what a referendum was. You know that uh, that that this was going to be on the ballot as a referendum. There was no such thing in in, in New York City. 
He had spent only about 10 days in Los Angeles in his entire life uh, before he made the decision to, to move. Uh, he had only been there three separate times for only a couple of days at a time. So he knew very little about the, uh, about the city. So the referendum is contested. The referendum is won by the Dodgers, 51 to 49 percent. But right after that, in July 1958, uh, a superior court judge uh, 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 who was ruling on uh, a, uh, a taxpayer suit brought by taxpayers who uh, wanted to oppose this Dodger Stadium deal, uh, he strikes it down, and he says it's not a public purpose, and therefore uh, public resources cannot be uh, offered uh, uh, to to the Dodgers. It's not a public purpose. The stadium is a private entity and shouldn't get any special help. So this, too, delays and divides the city. Now, eventually, in early 1959, the California Supreme Court overrules that decision, the unanimous decision. And in effect, what they rule is that uh, if it can be shown that a private undertaking like Dodger Stadium will have certain public benefits, uh, the fact that it will also benefit a private entrepreneur is irrelevant, uh, uh, that it is a public purpose, uh, and that, uh, that government resources can fairly and justly uh, be used uh, in, in support of that public uh, public. Uh, that private uh, entity, which now becomes a public purpose. Uh, and the specifics, again, are this favorable land deal that, uh, that, that O'Malley gets where he trades Wrigley Field for Chavez Ravine. And so what happens is that the, uh, uh, that the deal is upheld, but the bitterness uh, in the city and the divisions in the city uh, continue. And the question uh, is, is, is not answered uh, definitively in the general sense, which, and, and we, we wrestle with this question today uh, when we, we talk about uh, you know, the, the questions that neoliberalism raises, which is how much government assistance to a private entity is too much? Uh, how much uh, of that kind of assistance uh, doesn't serve a public purpose but just enriches a private entrepreneur? Uh, that was the question uh, in the Dodger Stadium controversy, and it's certainly the question uh, that, we, that we wrestle with today. The other question that Los Angeles wrestled with and still does is what is it da its downtown going to look like? Uh, today, I think, thanks to Dodger Stadium, uh, which was the first major undertaking uh, in, uh, in, 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 in downtown Los Angeles in quite some time, uh, uh, you have a downtown with the Staples Center, and you have a downtown with the, uh, with the two, uh, two major art museums and with uh, uh, high-rise office buildings and upscale housing uh, and, and, and restaurants uh, uh, and L.A. Live and all, all sorts of, uh, of, of, of the accoutrements, uh, the institutions of a vibrant downtown. But is downtown Los Angeles a vibrant downtown? Uh, a lot of people would, would say that it is not. Uh, uh, I, I was recently uh, uh, in Los Angeles uh, a couple of months ago, and uh, I went to see an event at the Music Center, which is another aspect of downtown Los Angeles. And walking back to my hotel on a Friday night, uh, about a six-block walk, at uh, 10 o'clock at night, I encountered three people. You know, And so does that mean that Los Angeles has the kind of vibrant downtown that New York has, that Chicago has, that San Francisco has? Well, Probably not.
But what it does have, thanks to Dodger Stadium, is a downtown with the institutions that can, I think, eventually create a vibrant downtown. In other words, uh, I, I think Dodger Stadium and the other institutions are necessary preconditions to have a vibrant downtown, but they're, they're, not, they're not the only thing that will create a downtown. But at least they have those institutions, thanks largely to, uh, to Walter O'Malley and to Dodger Stadium. Do you think, you know, ultimately um, O'Malley's decisions, decision to move the, the Dodgers from Brooklyn to L.A. and build Dodger Stadium on Chavez Ravine, was it, it, with the assistance of the government, ultimately a public benefit? I think it was. Uh, I think that uh, uh, O'Malley, at least from my research, and I am a New Yorker, so uh, I, 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 you could say that I might be biased in the other direction, but I think uh, he had very little choice but to leave New York for Los Angeles to do what he wanted to do. And what he wanted to do was to own his own stadium, to build and own his own stadium. Uh, 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 that was going to be impossible in New York. He could have been a tenant in a municipal stadium, what became Shea Stadium in New York, but he didn't want that. Uh, given that was his goal, uh, I think his move to Los Angeles was almost inevitable. Uh, now, once in Los Angeles, uh, uh, he... I think, built a institution, uh, one of the very few institutions in Los Angeles that ties a very disparate, very transient, uh, 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 very atomized city together. Uh, if you think about it, uh, uh, how many institutions in Los Angeles can virtually all Angelinos say, this is ours, we're proud of this, and this, you know, and, 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 and this is something that we love? Uh, very, very few. You know, you could say, well, the symphony. Well, not everybody goes to the symphony. Uh, the library. Well, not everybody goes to the library. Well, Dodger Stadium, a lot of people over the years have gone to that stadium. And I think it is a civic institution that, that at least to some degree, uh, as much as a baseball or sports venue can do, uh, ties the city together. So when you add that to the enormous amount of property tax that uh, this stadium has paid over the years, and at this point it's in the hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, if it had been a municipal stadium, it wouldn't have paid a penny. And the jobs that it generated uh, and the ancillary revenues that it generates, I think when you put all of that together uh, and the fact that Los Angeles taxpayers, uh, there was that land swap, but they did not you know, have to pay enormous amounts of money to build a city-owned stadium, uh, I think Los Angeles got a pretty good deal here. And I think it's a deal that, as so many other cities in the United States uh, wrestle with the question of how much public money to spend on a new stadium. And right here in my home here in Wisconsin, uh, uh, we, we just had that issue. The Milwaukee Bucks uh, NBA basketball team uh, uh, just, uh, just uh, are, are completing a, a new arena that uh, is uh, – Financed by the state of and, and, and state of Wisconsin, the city of Milwaukee, to the tune of something like half a billion dollars. You know that's taxpayer money. Uh, I think that here in Wisconsin, if they had an owner like O'Malley that said, "Give me some help getting the land, and then you're off the hook. I will build the stadium on my own." I think Wisconsin and virtually any other state and city uh, would have taken that deal and been very happy with it. So I think the citizens of Los Angeles have done pretty well here. Uh, I think they've also done quite well uh, on the new Los Angeles Rams and Chargers Stadium as well, where 
uh, Stan Kroenke, the uh, uh, you know the, the Walmart heir, uh, who you know who, who moved the Rams uh, from St. Louis uh, a year or two ago, uh, is also basically building that stadium at its own expense. And I think if I could give any advice to any cities uh, thinking about these issues, it would be get as much private money as you possibly can. Uh, and Los Angeles has done very well uh, with that. Now, not every city is Los Angeles. Kroenke, uh, you know, he he was willing to leave St. Louis. Uh, a city that was promising him public money uh, for a city, Los Angeles, where he would pretty much have to build it on his own. But Los Angeles, as a huge market uh, uh, with no NFL team for 20 years, was so inviting as a city and as a market that Kroenke was willing to just, you know, pay 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 it himself. Uh, not every city is in that position, but. Uh, I would still say get as much private money as you can, and Los Angeles with Dodger Stadium uh, and also with the new football stadium has done that. Uh, Gerald Poder, thank you so much for your time. The book is called City of Dreams, Dodger Stadium, and the Birth of Modern Los Angeles. Thank you very much. Sure, my pleasure.